find somebody who can tolerate and naughty by nature won't play you out, baby. I don't doubt you don't know what the fuck we're talking about. It's just fine. Welcome again to another episode of the Ryan Hancock podcast, the very first one of the brand new year. Happy New Year to all of y'all. Hopefully this year will be better than the train wreck that was last year. I feel like last year we endured through a whole decade of bullshit. Easily. It's always, yes. So as always, I'm joined by my cousin, Rob, who has been part of some of the best moments for me in this city for the last five years, the Miracle on Bourbon, the Skinny Love Hour, and also he got married down here in the city of New Orleans uh, back in 2019, was it? Yeah. Like 2019. All right, 2019. Yeah. So, uh, so he's been part of some of the best moments for me here in the city of New Orleans. So we're going to jump right in, talk about the move at Texas, the Tom Herman firing, and also Coach Sark uh being the new head coach at texas and first and foremost cousin rob i was shocked that texas made the move when they did i was shocked i wasn't surprised but i was shocked i wasn't i was surprised they made the move when they did and i was shocked i wasn't shocked that they were going to fire him it was just a matter of when they were going to fire him yeah because like what they they said they were, then they said they weren't, and then, or like that you thought they were, then they said they weren't, then they then they did. But after the bowl game, I guess they just wanted to win the bowl game, and then get rid of them. Like they didn't want to have they didn't want to have like an embarrassment in the bowl game. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And that's that's and- what I assume had to happen. Like that's what I assume they were just like whatever, or. Maybe, um, you know, the only other thing I could think of would be that, that that they just like Herman just pissed them off somehow between between when they said, "Yeah, I think we're going to keep them," and and then that point in time. There was also the thing about the eyes of Texas. I don't know what else it could be. 
The eyes of Texas. Uh, oh, yeah, man, that's, that's, it, it was weird. It was, it, was, it was a weird situation, but you know what? Screw Tom Herman. I don't care. If, like, I kind of, I kind of, ha- he's such an asshole that I'm kind of happy that, uh, that they were like, no, your, your job's like pretty much safe. It's fine. And then, and then, then they fi- fired him afterwards. I kind of love it. So fuck him. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's just that he screams arrogance. And, and the way that I always saw it was, that you fired Charlie Strong to get Tom Herman after one amazing year. Oh, you there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, what's going on here? Rob, can you hear me? All right, let's see here. All right, Rob, can you hear me? All right, what's going on here? Let's move this back over to you. Okay. Rob, can you hear me? Oh, crap. All right, all right, I can hear you, Rob. Can you hear me? You there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Oh, weird. I don't know what was going on. Okay, well, well I say, well, but um, you have to like turn off your video because sometimes with the video, it fucks up. Okay. Because uh, like, you- I normally turn my video. All right, so, the, all right, so that way, that way it'll probably go a lot better. But um, the thing I think about with Texas is that you fired Charlie Strong and you wanted to get Tom Herman. And Tom Herman did just barely, just a bit better than Charlie Strong. And the thing about it is Texas football is on the same, is pretty much a souped up version of Ole Miss football. Because Texas in my lifetime has only won one national title. And they've, I think since they joined the Big 12, they've only won two, uh, two conference championships. Since I've been alive, Texas probably, I think, has won maybe five conference championships uh, in my lifetime. It's not, it has not been many. I can look that up. It's, it's, they don't. Like I, like I say, or like I say I, I'm looking at it right now. Okay, the first Texas one has won six conference championships since I've been alive. They've won five outright, and they won a share of the conference title in 1994 with a four and three conference record and an eight and four overall record. What? Yeah, well, I mean, but this was in this was in 1994. This was in the old Southwest Conference. Oh, okay. Like they so this was like the old Southwest Conference. Here's, uh, when John Mackovic was here's here's the thing about that Southwest Conference though, and one reason I think that Texas has always been overrated as a program is that the Southwest Conference was barely a power conference. There were I agree. No, there were not that many good teams in that conference. Like you had what Arkansas, which is good. 
Yeah. And Texas, obviously, which is good. And then A&M, who is good. And then that's pretty much it. Like, SMU was good for a minute. But, like, the rest of those Texas schools weren't that good. I mean, they were just kind of beating up on on a weak conference uh, for most of their existence. And then they got into the Big 12. And, you know, they were still one of the best teams in the Big 12. But it was a much better conference. And it showed whenever uh, – whenever they start playing in it because they start winning less kind of a fair amount less and i and i and i was gonna go and go with, uh to an add to another point that the year that they won the share uh the reason why they won the conference championship was because uh and in, 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 in 1994 was that texas a&m went was on probation they have went. Uh, they were ineligible for championship and postseason because of sanctions. The Texas A&M team finished 10-0-1 in 1994, and they were number eight in the country. But and they didn't win. They could have won. They finished first in the conference, but they were ineligible to win to win the conference championship. Um, and so in 1994. Texas shared a conference title with Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, and Rice. That was the last, uh, that, that, I kid you not. They all finished four and three, <laughs> and they ended up, they all finished four and three, and the second place team was Houston, who finished one and six in conference, and SMU was 0-6 and one in conference. Perfect. Because Texas A because Texas A and M went on probation, but for a larger a larger point, you're absolutely right. I always wondered why Texas was always considered a blue blood when blue blood when in reality, it's no damn different than Georgia. Georgia's it's basically Georgia. It's basically Georgia, like it's basically Georgia football. Georgia football, I think, is very underrated to me as a program. And that's because we always know about their close calls, but Georgia has a really strong, a really proud and really strong football history. Texas never really did well after integration as a program. Like LSU's won three national titles since integration. Texas has only won one. And they uh, played for another. One, I thought they won one in the seventies. It could be. Well, they won one in nineteen. They won one in nineteen seventy. But like, like if you look at the last fifty years, Texas has only won. Like in my lifetime, they've won six conference championships. Before I was born, between nineteen seventy and the year I was born, Texas won one, two, three, four, five, six seven conference championships they only won seven conference champions they won they've won 13 conference championships since i've been alive but more importantly yeah. they've only won one national title since i've been since i've been alive and they play for another one right which to be fair and they kind of got screwed in that game in by luck uh in terms of colt mccoy getting hurt in like the first quarter I, I think 
but but for but now shifting gears what do you think sark brings to the texas program um well assuming his uh a, a substance abuse troubles are behind him he's got to be a better person than tom herman who's just an asshole right like Steve Sarkeesian's just got to be like yeah. a more likable guy that like players and fans and coaches will just like like more, feel more comfortable around. He's not an arrogant <laughs> piece of shit because he's been not he's been knocked down. He's been you know slapped to the bottom by his own problems, you know, his alcoholism or whatever, getting fired from USC and that type of stuff. So presumably you get a more humble person. I mean, in terms of actual coaching acumen, I don't know that you get that much different of a, of a person. Um, like really, it doesn't seem like you get that much different of a person. It, it seems that Tom Herman turned out to be a bit overrated as a head coach, uh, you know, writing like clearly at Houston, he did a good job, but he also inherited like a program that was good to go. He, he inherited a, lo a loaded gun that all he had to do was pull the trigger on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas at Texas, he inherited a bit of a mess, although he did, he did have Sam Ellinger all four years, which is kind of huge. Uh, and he still couldn't do much with him. Um, I mean, he basically wasted his talent. Like Sam Ellinger, Ellinger, the fact that you could not win a conference championship with Sam Ellinger, at least. I mean, yes, you got to a Sugar Bowl. But yeah. the Sugar Bowl, a New Year's Day Six Bowl now is completely, you know, it's nothing to discount it. But when you look at the fact at the fact that Texas has gone 11 years without a conference championship, they've gone 15 years with 16 years oh, right now, 15 years without a, a national title. It says a whole lot. You know, you're saying, well, Texas is back. Well, here's the thing. Texas in 2020 is basically third, maybe third or fourth wheel in the state of Texas. I would, uh, would, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, they're at minimum second, or at, they're at best second to AM right now. And then you got to think, like, who I mean, Texas at AM is a program on a rise. Yeah, and AM, you know, has, I would say, this is more because of a lack of the, the, the coaching pool is so shallow, or at least at the top or whatever, like in terms of top tier. But I mean, like, just based on resume, you got to think A and M's got one of the five best coaches in the country. I mean, if you look at what Jimbo Fisher has done at Texas A and M in his short time, I was very skeptical when he got there. But looking at what he's done so far, I mean, he had this team on the cusp of a college football playoff berth, which was something that would have been unheard of three years ago because. It was just a program that was so that was just content with being little brother to Texas, but Jimbo Fisher was like, no, 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 we can be more than little brother. Oh hell yeah, yeah. 
but I think with so I think with Sarkeesian, the main thing that they do get that that is different is that he's just a better human being. And you know what? Maybe that makes a difference. Maybe the players play harder. You be, you get better recruits because Herman wasn't recruiting. I mean, you know, the, Texas recruiting. You're always going to be like a top twenty class for the most part. But like Herman was wasn't recruiting as well as you should be at Texas. And you know, his him being a douchebag might have a lot to do with that. Uh, so yeah, you know, if if you do get a lateral move, if it is a, just a lateral move on coaching acumen, which I think it probably is, but you know, you upgrade in terms of uh, character and maybe recruiting, then that's a win. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So one last thing, we got to talk about your Missouri Tigers. <laughs> and um, the season that they're having with basketball. What is the ceiling of this team, in your did, opinion? Did you watch the game last night? Uh, I did see that game, and y'all lost to Mississippi State, which we did. I mean, it's conference. It's conference plays. So losing it would would have been one thing, and that would have annoyed me. Uh, Ryan, last this I don't know what to think of this team. Like I don't know. It's very it's it's hard to figure out because. So last night, for example, they played a perfect first half. I don't know that I've really seen them play a better half, under Conzo Martin. They uh, were up twelve at the half, and um, they didn't turn the ball over. They just played incredible defense. They were they were doing everything right. Second half comes along. They pushed the score up to 14 uh, at one point. Like, they have a 14-point lead. Then they get outscored 51 to, like, 22. At one point, they're being outscored 37 to 15 in the second half. They just stopped playing. It was the worst half of basketball I have ever seen in my life. Now, granted, part of that was that Mississippi State – shot something like almost 70% from the field in the second half. They just hit every stupid mid-range jumper they took. Um, it was infuriating, and we blew it. I mean, we, we a 14-point lead turned into a 13-point loss or something like that. Maybe it was, no, a 15-point loss, I'm sorry. So it's like a 30-point swing in about 18 minutes of basketball. Mm-hmm. So what I'm concerned with about this team is, so here's what I like. They're all veterans. They're all juniors and seniors. Um, we really don't have a bad player one through eight uh, in terms of on the bench, like from mm-hmm. the to the bench. Um, they're all, everyone is solid. And then we have two to three guys who I don't think we have any great players. We have two to three really good players. Um, the pro- here's the problem though. None of these guys have played on a winning team before this year. They don't know how to close. So in a lot of ways, they're not veterans because they're still, they, they don't know how to close because they've never done it until this. Right. Year. I mean, this has got to be what, I mean, cause they like some, these are, I think some of these are like holdovers from the Kim Anderson, the Kim Anderson era. Right. I mean, you got uh, some that are no, that were recruited. Not anymore. It's all Conzo's guys now. Okay, okay. I, I remember, I remember when I first moved here to New Orleans. Kim Anderson was the head coach. Yeah. At um, at at Missouri, and then that sent, and then 
uh, Johnny Jones was at LSU and Billy Kennedy, who is actually from Metairie, was at um, A&M, Texas A&M. And then um, when I was when I first moved here, Avery Johnson was the coach at Alabama. Bruce Pearl had just Bruce Pearl was in his second year at Alabama. I mean, at, at Auburn when I moved here. And then you had Andy Kennedy was the head coach. Andy Kennedy was at Ole Miss. Mike Anderson was at Arkansas. Um, Kevin Stallings had just, Kevin Stallings, I think had just, he was, Kevin Stallings was still at Vanderbilt that the year I moved here. And Mark Fox was at Georgia. I think the only coaches that have not left from the time I moved down here was John Calipari, Rick Bar John Calipari and Rick Barnes are the only two, in it. and I, and I want to, I want to say um, Mike White at Florida. They're the only, and Frank Martin. They're the only four that have not left. Uh, they have not left their jobs in the SEC. But I tend to agree with you. I haven't really seen much of Missouri, uh, and and you're right. I think the one thing is when you've never been on a winning team and you never knew how to close, uh, how to close. Uh, it's very hard to do that, uh, to to put that into practice when you've never been shown how to close out against an inferior team because. Mississippi State's not really, that, really not that good. I mean, Mississippi State's, no. a, you know, Bob, Ben Ben Howland's done a good job there, but he really, he's done an okay job. I won't say he's done a good job, because they've only been to one NCAA tournament since he's been there. Right, and they won, and then another year, and they and they been to a couple of NITs. Um, so. I'm with you on that because I, I think I see the same thing with LSU. I don't know what LSU ceiling is, but LSU's ha the the difference is that there are guys on that team that played on the SEC championship and Sweet 16 team, and also um, and also the um, the you know the the team that went to the NIT. Uh, and Will Wade's first year. So you do have guys that know how to win. And last year had a pandemic that had last season had a pandemic not happen. Um, we would have had we would have been in the NCAA tournament uh, for the second straight year. And Will Wade would have been the first coach in LSU history to take all three his first three teams to the NCAA to the either the NCAA or NIT tournament, which never happened. Like before uh, the uh, Trent Johnson, when Trent Johnson uh, was coach, he took LSU to the NCAA tournament. He was the first coach to ever do that in his first year at LSU. The second, uh, Johnny Jones won more games in his first three years than any other LSU coach. That just tells you how bad LSU basketball history has been, uh, despite the fact that we had Crystal Pete, Maravich, and, and Shaq, neither of those played in the Final Four. Uh, they never did. Uh, Pistol Pete never played the NCAA tournament. Like, the team was really bad. He was just a great scorer, but they never went anywhere. They went to the NIT one year. Shaq never got to the, uh, to the first week, to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament at LSU. 
Man, that's crazy. That's something that a lot of people do not know. Dude, yeah. I don't, I don't know how. Him and Chris Jackson. Go ahead. I was I just don't know how um, any college team could have possibly beaten a team with Shaq on it. <laughs> like Shaq who could drop 50 points at will in the NBA. You know, like, I don't know. It's just crazy. I mean, it's a crazy thing when you look at a lot of the great players that never got a chance to play in the Final Four, much less um, much less win a national championship in college. I mean, you go down the list. I mean, for, I mean, for Missouri, you know, you had guys like John Sundervold and Doug Smith that never could do it. Penny Hardaway didn't play in the Final Four. He got close. He got close to a Final Four. To the, uh, he was like one game away from the Final Four his first year of, uh, of, of college, but he was never able to do that. He never was able to go to the Final Four. And Kenyon Martin, I was at that game in Memphis when that happened. That game, again, I think they played Marquette, and they were in the pyramid, and it was spring break. And my mom, who worked at the University of Memphis, basically took me – to the game. Marquette, I think, was playing Cincinnati. And that was when Kenyon Martin had the injury. And I remember thinking to myself, the injury drop basically changed the course of that program at Cincinnati. That yeah. One that one injury because Cincinnati has only been the two sweet 16 since that since then and a lot of people you know don't realize that Xavier Xavier in Cincinnati has been the more superior program in the city the last 25 years they've been the seven sweet 16s Cincinnati has been to like three yeah no Xavier has definitely been the better program uh I mean they're they're like I mean, I guess they're technically a power conference now, but, you know, Xavier's always been, like, one of the best, like, non-P5 teams, I always thought. Like, one of the best pro, yeah. you know. And it, like, you can so all... So, now we're going... What, go ahead. I was just say, you can always count on Xavier to have a good team. Always. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't... I never could remember a time where they didn't have a, 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 a strong, a, a really good team. I never could... I never remembered. I could never remember a time when they never had one. Um, so, that being said, we're gonna get one last thing in, one more last thing, and that's about the elections last night in Georgia. Our friend Rach was over the moon, like she was <laughs> over the moon. She said she. I was texting her last night, and she was like, "We got this," and. I just thought to, I told her, and I said it this morning, John Lewis should be here witnessing this. Like a guy that was John Lewis's intern and John Lewis's pastor, they're both gonna be elected to, they're gonna be, they just got elected to the United States Senate. And the one thing that a friend of mine, my uh, friend Steph uh, pointed out yesterday that you didn't see the, uh, the socialists like Bree Bree Joy and all the motherfuckers, you didn't see them 
say anything about going out to vote. They didn't right. say not one thing about getting out to vote yesterday. Christ. And I'm kind of happy that, no, I'm kind of happy that they didn't because their whole movement has been so disingenuous and they make it harder and harder for people. Like, you know, I, and, I, and I always go back to this thing that happened last year, last summer, um, when there was these, all these white folks that were in front of the mayor's house here in New Orleans. And these were all white folks protesting outside the mayor's house in New Orleans. And I'm like, okay, you do realize, I like our mayor is actually, is a black woman. And I literally told somebody, I said, this shit looks like something out of a clan, like something out of the Ku Klux Klan. Like all these white kids, these white folks, these white hipsters, um, trust fund babies are outside the mayor's house protesting, saying defund the police. They put a defund the police thing right in front of her house. Right. But I can tell you for sure, by the way, that those people, those same people, if a bunch of, you know, white Republicans were outside a black mayor's house, the first thing they would say is this is racist. This is a Klan rally. But when it's a bunch of white hipsters, it's like, yeah. no, you trust us. We're not racist. It's, it's fucking infuriating. I mean, the, the, way, the, the way I always saw it was like, they feel like they can tell black people how to think, how to feel. And they think that they know what's best for black people. I say, okay, if that's the case, then if that's the case, then Bernie Sanders, uh, we would have trusted Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, I wrote about this before the pandemic. You remember me saying this. I say, Bernie Sanders has a black people problem. The DSA as a whole has a black people. All you gotta do is go to a DSA meeting and you understand what that problem is. People like Cory Bush are people they use as mascots because she's doing nothing but repeating, regurgitating white liberal viewpoints. You talking about Cory Bush from St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I kind of get that vibe. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. There's just something about her I don't trust, and I don't, and I never trusted Brevi Joy. Like, I, I think I, 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 I never trusted her at I, all. I'm at the point ever. now where if you're really good, isn't and it's not true for everyone, but if you're really, really good <clears throat> at getting attention on social media, I trust you less. And Corey Bush, I and, would say one, one, yeah. Well, I was going to say Cory Bush and AOC and all them are the type of people that, you know, they play well on social media. AOC to me is that she is that relative that complains about the food that you eat, that you serve at your house. She <laughs> is the woman that complains about how you raise your kids. She is the ditzy relative that nobody likes. She is. She's definitely the ditzy, she's the ditzy relative that nobody likes. And yeah. I didn't understand, I did not realize that until I, I remember like me and my neighbor, one of my neighbors, we were talking and we talked about like there was this woman 
really attractive woman that lived in my complex. And she was really attractive. And she was she had a meat on her bones, but she was attractive. She was not she was not bad looking. But she used to complain about everything. She would talk about herself. And I remember saying to myself, I'm like, do you ever shut the fuck up? <laughs> like if you like, do you ever shut the fuck up? I'm like, I can see why no man wants to date you. I can see why. And one time, and I remember when I wrote my, I wrote a column about this. I said, you know, um, she, this is just like AOC. And the thing is, AOC could not win a, a district like Lauren Underwood. Uh, Lauren Underwood is a representative for uh, the state of Illinois. And Lauren Underwood represents like this lily white section of suburban Chicago. Well, we all know suburban Chicago's uh, lily white to begin with. But the district that she represents was a district that voted three out of four times, um, three out of four, three out of four times for uh, Republican presidential candidates. But she's managed to win her district by not doing any anything that AOC or a lot of people of that squad has done. Like there's a thing for AOC. It's always on camera. Like we get that you are passionate about your causes, but if you want to be, if you want to be somebody like a a, a a a a community an organizer, you can do those purity tests. You can do this whole defund the police thing. But when you're in a situ in a position of power, you sometimes have to like dial it down. And she doesn't know how to do that. She really doesn't. It's always it's 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 fascinating to me that the media gives her a lot of they give her more time on camera than they do somebody like Katie Porter. And I think and I thought about it long oh, and hard. You and I'm like why i know why it's the aesthetics aoc is this attractive lady yep who draws more it draws a crowd that doesn't give a fuck about politics more than katie porter does. katie porter is a single uh, a single mom and very good at her job and she has the whiteboard and stuff and i guarantee you katie porter fit the aesthetics on camera, she would be on, they would, the cameras would be all over her ass, just like they would, uh, just they are, just as they are with AOC. Yeah, yep, totally. Yeah, I mean, she's just better, better for the camera and, uh, and cares more about, and, yeah. And we'll, and she's not, not only, not only physically, but you know, she'll give you the sound bites that, that Katie Porter won't. Right, and 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 the thing about it is, I think about it also at the, at the, in the in the same sense of the fact that her sound bites, the Republicans can use those against the Democrats, and that's the reason why some of these states didn't elect Democratic governors. Yeah, tell me I'm not lying. No, you're right. No, I you're mean right. Missouri, Missouri. Missouri could have had, uh, what's that lady, I think Galloway? Missouri could have had Galloway. 
they had a really good chance. But when you mix AOC with with them, with anybody like Galloway or in Mississippi, Jim Hood, or in Alabama, it was Walt Maddox, then it's basically political suicide. Yeah. It's really, it's political suicide. Yeah. So it's like I said, I, I, I say the less I hear from AOC, and it's not jumping on her because she's a woman. I'm not jumping on her because of that. It's just that she is the ditzy relative that everybody hates. Yeah, that's what she is. And Bernie Sanders is just a fucking drunk. He's the drunk uncle that you don't want to be around. So I'm just so glad. Like I said, it's just like I, I thought to myself, like the other day I saw this uh, Bernie beats Trump thing. And I remember thinking to myself, I said, could you imagine if Bernie had went up against Trump in the election? It would have been a blowout. He would have won the Democratic state, but he wouldn't have been able to flip Georgia. He wouldn't have been able to flip North Carolina. I don't think he would or Pennsylvania. He would I don't think he would have gotten it would have been a blowout. I don't think he would have gotten Michigan or Wisconsin. He wouldn't have gotten Michigan. You think he would have? He no, I don't think I think he would have won. He would have won California, he would have won Oregon, he would have won Washington. He would have won Illinois, New York. He would have won New York, New Jersey, uh, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. He would have won all of New England. He would have won New York. Uh, he would have won Virginia, but he wouldn't have been able to flip Georgia. No, I think he, he wouldn't have been able lot. to flip. Oh, he would. He would have. He wouldn't have been able to. I don't think. He, I think he probably could have won Ohio. No, he wouldn't even won Ohio. No, like all of that, like Minnesota, Minnesota, he would have, he would have won Minnesota, but that would have been about it. It would have, he would have probably got maybe 206 votes, uh, electoral votes. Yeah, it would have been bad. But the debates would have been, the the, the debates would have been train wrecks. It would have been like just two old people screaming at each other. And, and and you just like and and that's why I would get trip trip. That's what trips me out about the whole Biden versus Trump thing. I say, Biden, you all want to run this thing saying with both Biden and Trump are the same people. I'm like, I both. That's bullshit. Like, look at how Biden acted compared to, look at how Biden was with Trump, and look at how Bernie would have been with Trump. It would have been a nightmare because it would have been just two people screaming. And that's just not how you do things. Right. But anyway, Rob, thank you so much for joining me on this conversation early morning, first one of the year. Folks, you can check the uh, podcast out on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts and, uh, and so forth. That being said, for Rob, This is Ryan. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time, we'll see you down the road.